You are listening to Center Focus, a podcast for community health centers brought to you by Commonwealth Purchasing Group. My name is Sean Horrigan, and I'm thrilled to welcome Brian Williams, VP of Compliance and Learning for MedTrainer, to discuss the age of virulence. But before we dive into our topic, let me give you a little bit of background on our guest. As VP of Compliance and Learning, Brian Williams and his team are responsible for ensuring that MedTrainer's learning, content, and products are current, relevant, and consistent with the ever-evolving regulatory and accreditation accreditation standards. His 25-plus years of of executive-level management in the most prestigious hospitals in Southern California, along with his regulatory expertise, is foundational to MedTrainer's company-wide culture of innovation and service excellence. Brian Williams, welcome to Center Focus. Oh, thank you very much for the nice introduction. Really appreciate being here today. And uh, today we're going to talk about a a term that I've coined, the age of virulence. And really what that's about is what's happening with diseases, bacteria, and virus viruses in our environment, uh, some of which our bodies are very accustomed to, but uh, many bodies are not and has very serious health repercussions. And so hopefully we can talk today about about, uh, some of those and um, how uh, healthcare professionals in community health centers uh, can prevent and identify and prevent um, further uh, spread of those diseases. Terrific. So, Brian, let's begin with the basics. Can you define what the age of virulence is for our listeners and talk to me about the emerging diseases and urgent threats of antibiotic-resistant viruses that should be top of mind for health centers and healthcare professionals? Absolutely. Um, the age, you know, when we look at the term virulence, it's a strength. And the bacteria, viruses, and bugs um, naturally mutate and become other organisms. I think we're seeing that with COVID-19, Omicron um, uh, variant, as they call it. And so they're living organisms, and those living organisms uh, take on other forms and at times become stronger. And as we've used antibiotics um, in the past uh, 100-plus years, uh, what we're finding is that they're not as effective, especially in high-risk patients. What's a high-risk patient? Um, eight, you know, those age 65 or older, people with chronic dis- uh, conditions, especially diabetes, lung disease, cancer, and kidney disease, and generally people with weakened immune systems. And so the virulence is really its effect that these diseases can have on, um, on human bodies. And so there's a few things we want to talk about. Um, number one, um, bacteria and viral infections have many things in common. Both are caused by you know, tiny microbes, bacteria and viruses, and, and they spread uh, pretty much the same way most diseases, you know, coughing and sneezing, uh, close contact with infected people, um, even kissing and through through sex, um, contact with contaminated service, surfaces, food and water, and also contact with infected creatures, 
you know, livestock, pets, and insects. Um, the the um, the bacterial and viral infections can can be mild to moderate and and be severe. And some of the things we should really focus on um, sepsis, uh, although it's not contagious, um, anyone with an infection um, can can with an infection can lead to sepsis. Sepsis. And as I mentioned earlier, some of the people who are at higher risk of infection and sepsis um, are, are the same, including uh, children, you know, less than one year old. And the most frequent identified germs causing those infections and sepsis include staph, um, uh, into, <laughs> I can never say this word, uh, strep and escherichia coli, E. coli, um, and a few newer ones that um, are are really taking the stage, like uh, superbug candida, um, identified recently by the uh, CDC in four additional states. It's a highly resistant, um, highly drug resistant fungus that primarily spreads in, in healthcare facilities. Um, most uh, cases have been detected in acute care hospitals, uh, but additional cases identified in long-term facilities by the CDC. Why is that important to community health centers? Well, not all uh, of the patients that uh, come through the community health center um, have the type of care or have um, been, maybe they've been hospitalized, maybe they've been in a nursing home. And so understanding what, what those uh, newer bugs are, especially antibiotic-resistant antibiotic uh, germs, uh, such as MRSA and BRE. Uh, we're seeing an uptick in vector-borne diseases, um, mosquitoes and ticks, um, that uh, as, as global warming um, uh, takes hold, and there's no debate about whether, whether or not, I, I think, just look at the temperatures in various areas and uh, the warmer temperatures expand the um, breeding areas for mosquitoes and tick habitats. Um, but as I said, these, um, these diseases are pretty important to understand, but they happen naturally in nature. So it's more important that we understand the condition of our patients and uh, the aging population. You know, baby boomers, there's over 10,000 of us turning 65 um, every day. And so uh, for the next 20, I think we're down to 23 years now from my last estimate uh, that, that, that I read. But uh, as patients from various patient populations come through the doors, uh, understanding what's happening in the community, what they might be um, uh, infected by or with, uh, it becomes more and more important that we have our, um, have our infection control and prevention lenses on. You mentioned vector-borne diseases. What other types of bacteria, viruses, and diseases should be top of mind for health centers right now? And what signs and symptoms should they be looking at among their patient populations? Excellent question. And it, 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 um, it's very difficult for any um, healthcare organizations to identify by sight what types of um, 
bacteria, infections, and viruses may be um, affecting a patient. It's, it's more important that we understand where our patients come from, where, they're, uh, wh where they've been residing, and what their symptoms are. For example, um, the, uh, a, a, a persistent cough, fatigue, um, uh, high temperatures are all signs of many different infections. And so it's really having an understanding when they walk in the door, what is their physical condition? What are their family or loved ones telling you about them? And how do you take that and, and, and uh, make sure that they're getting the right screening? Uh, the number one killer out of, out of all of these, which is um, non-transmissible, is sepsis. And so if there's one thing that I would tell um, uh, those you know, uh, processing patients at a community health center, is to learn more about sepsis because uh, uh, I've got some statistics on that here in just a moment. Uh, there's over uh, 1.5 million cases a year. Um, anyone can, that gets an infection could lead to sepsis. sepsis. And over 250,000 people die of sepsis. And um, mostly because it's undetected and uh, detected too late can be very deadly. Brian, how can health healthcare facilities be more infection prepared? How can they how can they be better prepared as organizations to tackle these new viruses and bacteria? That's a tall order, right? Um, and, and let me tell you why I think it's a tall order. Um, not everybody has the, the right mindset of infection control and prevention um, within the healthcare community. And uh, the, the, um, the pandemic has been uh, a, um, a mechanism that has divided many uh, people into, uh, you know, those who would prefer, you know, stronger um, PPE and, and those that don't think it, don't, doesn't think that it matters. In a healthcare facility, I don't think you have the um, option to be political. You have to be using um, per, uh, personal protective equipment. You have to be um, frequently uh, performing hand hygiene, and you have to be able to keep the surfaces clean around the areas that you're seeing and talking with patients at the front counter, in an exam room, uh, anywhere where there's you know touching doorways countertops, doorknobs, et cetera. And so becoming infection control uh, prepared is also becoming infection control aware. And, you know, depoliticizing and looking at really what are we trying to do here? We're trying to prevent the spread of infections. We're trying to make sure that those things that are um, highly contagious, such as BRE, MRSA, are not transferred off of surfaces um, or off of um, uh, things that we use around the patient, blood pressure cuffs, um, anything that touches the patient. And so my, my advice for community health centers is take a holistic view of everything that touches a patient and everywhere a patient touches. Um, that's a, that, that will, first of all, give you a view of those areas that need to be kept sanitized. 
Uh, then take a look. Uh, there's plenty of, of um, from the WHO, World Health Organization, or the CDC on uh, monitoring hand hygiene. And don't make it punitive. Um, it's amazing when you really look at um, hand hygiene, uh, how many don't practice it, and it doesn't matter what position they could be, a housekeeper, a physician, a nurse, um, or an admit, admitting clerk, uh, you know, processing clerk. And so you've got to look at what's really happening in your facility from a hand hygiene standpoint, and how, how do you um, uh, take that information and, and put it into action? And both, uh, both uh, the CDC and the uh, World Health Organization uh, have excellent um, uh, collateral and um, uh, things that you can use for that campaign. Uh, the next thing they really need to do is understand when they need to refer and when they need to quarantine. Um, so if, if a patient is displaying, um, you know, very uh, potentially uh, contagious uh, actions, what does that mean? They're sneezing, they're coughing, you know, get them a mask, make sure that they're covering uh, their cough, make sure that uh, they're aware and their family members or loved ones around them are taking precautions for that patient that's in the facility. If you have room in your facility to be able to separate them and give them uh, an area that uh, uh, may, may be a little more conducive to containing what they have, um, community health centers are, are not necessarily in the practice of treating those diseases, but they need to be in the practice of identifying and separating those um, that may appear to be contagious simply by their um, what may be a common cold may be more serious. Hopefully that makes sense. Definitely. Uh, Brian, with our focus on COVID-19 and the highly transmissible Omicron, Omicron variant, has there been a shift away from detection of other diseases that may have higher mortality rates? Uh, so this is a matter of opinion. I did um, a little bit of research there is certainly a focus on COVID-19, um, and it, 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 needless to say, uh, most people, especially in healthcare, um, have COVID-19 fatigue. Uh, you know, from wear a mask, don't wear a mask. You know, do this, don't do that. But the fact of the matter is, there are other diseases that are highly transmissible. Uh, you know, the flu. The flu is one of them that kills uh, thousands of people every year. Now, we don't see as high a flu um, season uh, primarily because of, of the precautions that have been taken by most people. And that should be telling to us that uh, we haven't really focused on reducing flu mortality because we've been so focused on COVID-19. And take that, shift, take that focus off of COVID-19, I'm sure that you're going to see an increase in mortality from the flu. And so it's really quite simple. If, um, if we don't focus on protecting each other with PPE and um, uh, you know, um, environmental controls as well as personal controls and behaviors, uh, those things are gonna go unchecked. Um, I, you know, I can't remember the last time I've seen 
um, uh, information posted about sepsis. Sepsis, again, is out of all of the things I've looked at, there's all different types of diseases out there uh, from vector-borne, um, uh, uh, animal-borne, um, and let's see, um, you know, just what's happening with mosquitoes and ticks, Lyme's disease. Um, these, our aging population, especially those with diabetes, are, are very susceptible uh, to those diseases. They cause um, a, a, immune disorders. So I think the, the best thing um, to really understand is while our focus has been on COVID-19 um, and now we shift to the Omicron and other variants that will occur, we can't lose focus of those other uh, chronic diseases that um, uh, can be easily affected by bacteria, infections, and viruses. How does a healthcare organization break through social and political beliefs to gain consensus on how everyone should take responsibility for infection control and prevention? Another tall order and probably um, one of the hardest things to do. Uh, some of the research that I've uh, conducted uh, points to the politicalization of attitudes towards infection control and prevention. And it, 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 when, a, um, when the pandemic first occurred, you know, it, it starts with shock and disbelief. You know, think back to Ebola. Uh, we were prepared as a nation in case we had it, but it really didn't hit our shores. Zika, we had a few cases, but it, it wasn't widespread like it was in, in uh, Central and South America. And so part of understanding uh, what what um, what needs to happen is understanding that those drills, as I would call them, uh, maybe have uh, taken people off guard a little bit. Then the pandemic comes along, and most terrible thing in in my lifetime, and it it has brought about a fatigue. So I think healthcare organizations need to understand and acknowledge that fatigue, and need to acknowledge. Uh, what the what employees and staff are going through, and and create a dialogue, so that it's not about right or wrong. It's really about protection and and defense against disease, and you know put it in terms of family members. Um, why would you why would you uh, double down on infection control and prevention in today's um, kind of divided society? The simple reason is because it protects family members. We're in the business of healthcare, and those in the business of healthcare have a responsibility to take care of those that, that walk through the doors and to take care of each other. And I think that's, um, that's kind of where an organization should start, and it should follow with education, education about these various um, diseases, viruses, bacteria, et cetera, so that they become more informed as to what they are, how they occur, how to how to um, identify patients that might be at risk, or patients that may be in a state of jeopardy, and uh, from that, it's really just training. Something um, I believe that MedTrainer could help um, uh, organizations with. We have quite a bit of material on this, 
And certainly um, in our learning library, there is uh, plenty of, of courses that we put together to learn more about this. Um, and uh, quite frankly, if we don't do this, we will, we will definitely see the, uh, what I would call negative consequences. And we may not, it may not be readily apparent, but it is, it is visible in the communities that we serve. Many of the communities that are served um, uh, in, in, with uh, uh, community health centers, uh, there, there are health disparities that need to be addressed. And, you know, there are uh, those that, that don't access healthcare the way that others do and need to. And so I think uh, education, um, a, a acknowledgement of where we are um, as humans in, in this pandemic that has been, you know, uh, uh, dragging on and uh, what we need to do individually. I think getting that kind of commitment from staff uh, will go a long way, and it really starts with that acknowledgement that we're all tired of this, but we all need to protect for that. Brian, you mentioned education and trainings. What is the best way for a health center to conduct those type of trainings? Are they in-person sessions, online learning? What are your thoughts around that? So I think a combination, right? Um, it, it's very important that that staff understands these principles in their in the care setting for which they they work right um, showing uh, a course that has a hospital setting uh, and is very obvious you know there's beds and IV poles and all of that doesn't necessarily help a community health center um, understand you know the how this emerges in their own centers and so, number one, having uh, having uh, a care setting specific training is very important, and online we certainly provide that. Um, having a infection prevention control and prevention champion, whether you have whether that be a nurse or or somebody else who takes on that responsibility, um, is super important. But it's not enough. One person in any organization is not enough to move that needle. Have to find those that are willing to participate and become champions in departments. I call them radios. You gotta create radios in the department to make sure that the message is getting through. And then you have to measure. And what are some of the things you can measure? Adherence to protocols. Um, hand hygiene is a huge, huge factor in the spread of these diseases, especially um, in this care setting. And so those are the three things that, that I would love to do. And how would a health center go about finding those champions in radios? You know, it, my experience, and I've got 25 years in uh, healthcare uh, management uh, from, from housekeeping to support services, um, working with nurses and doctors, and, and basically everybody in those organizations, uh, which is includes large you know, facilities with multiple locations, you have to have a real, um, a real passion uh, for what you do. And there are, it's not that hard to find uh, people that will, that will um, want to learn. For example, MedTrainer, we have a, a, cultural, um, a cultural committee 
that committee looks at the various cultures we have throughout our company, and we meet regularly to develop uh, internal training. And it has been uh, a, a, just a joy to me that uh, there, the participation and representation across the organization um, is pretty impressive. And so, you know, it, you, you got to ask, first of all, you know, who's interested and, and you don't necessarily want um, those that are, are one-sided. You want to make sure when you establish those radios that there's a balance between what they, what they believe personally and what the, uh, what the training and literature and guidelines uh, present. So fair balance folks that um, you, can, you can count on to redistribute information to uh, post things in their own department and for them uh, to be committed. It, it's not that difficult. You'd be surprised. Um, and it starts with that, what I said earlier, you know, having um, as leaders the ability to um, tell staff, we understand how you feel. We understand what you've gone through. Our battle isn't over yet. We still need everybody to rise to the occasion. You know, who would like to help do this? Because this is not a one-person uh, operation. It has to be um, a organizational-wide culture of, of infection control and prevention. And uh, you, there, there's plenty of literature on this. Um, certainly could provide some more detail in, in another podcast. But I, I strongly believe you have the talent within your organization it will rise to the occasion if you um, if you announce it and look for it, and you also need to nurture it. So, you know, it's not just a matter of creating the radio; it's a matter of making sure those radios are, are very well um, educated on the principles of infection control and prevention, and have materials that they can draw on. So, it's not a matter of just personal opinion. Great. Well, we are coming up on uh, about 20 minutes here. So, Brian, before we wrap up, can you tell our listeners how they may get in touch with you and learn more about your trainings and offerings? Excellent. Sure. Thank you very much for that. Um, if you go to medtrainer.com um, and and select um, uh, schedule a demo, they'll, they'll, our team will schedule a demo at your convenience and show you all the various uh, features that we have from med trainer compliance, which includes uh, the ability to manage documents and incident reporting uh, to the training, which we have over, uh, we're approaching 600 courses um, in our library. Um, organizations can also uh, upload their own PowerPoints and, and create courses on, on things that um, are important to them. We take suggestions um, as well. Um, they can uh, basically get uh, sales at medtrainer.com, compliance at medtrainer.com are all methods if you want to send an email and get more information uh, that I provided in this podcast. I'll be happy to do that. Um, but uh, the uh, demo, seeing, seeing how we do what we do, an all-in-one solution, I think, um, those that uh, need um, assistance, we certainly can provide it. Terrific. Well, Brian, you have been a wealth of knowledge. Thank you for joining us today on Center Focus. 
Uh, my pleasure. Thank you very much for having us. To learn more about how Commonwealth Purchasing Group can help your organization by streamlining costs and boosting efficiency, visit cwpurchasing.com. My name is Sean Horrigan. Thank you for joining us for Center Focus.